so here's the thing. Bad, bad things happen. <laughs> bad things happen in life. And I don't think I need to spend a lot of time convincing you that bad things happen. But what I hope to do today is help you reframe how to handle when those bad things happen as a follower of Jesus. And you might be here today and you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, and that's great. That's a good time for you to be here today because I think that misunderstanding of what God does during bad times is one of the big things that keeps people away from following Jesus and specifically what Christians sometimes say about what God does, okay? So um, here's some things that I hear from people. Have you ever heard this from someone when something bad happens in your life? Like you lose your job? Well, there's a reason for everything. And you're like, really? Like, there's a, there's a reason, like, that I lost? I mean, unless you, like, stole from your employer, then yes, there is a reason for everything. Um, you know, uh, I mean, seriously, so I'll tell you guys, like, God has a plan. And I'm sorry, because I know a lot of Christians say this. And for me personally, I'm not trying to offend, but that just rubs me the wrong way when, when you're like, yeah, you know, your kid's, your kid's got this terrible illness. Well, God has a plan. And I'm thinking to myself, really, that's God's plan? Like, that's the best he could do, you know? Or God's in control. Now, this one is, if you are, have been going to church your whole life, this one's confusing because we've been trained that God is in control of everything, right? But does that mean that God is doing everything that happens? Does that mean when something bad happens that God, oh, God's in control? Don't question God. I've actually heard and, and, you know, I don't speak bad about other preachers. I mean, I'm, you know, but I've heard preachers say things I disagree with. Is that okay to say? Right? They're great people or whatever, but, like, I disagree with. Um, now I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> I got too into my disclaimer. Uh, God's in control. Don't question God. Don't ask God why. I've literally heard preachers preach that. You shouldn't ask God why. And that comes from this feeling that because God's in control, we just need to trust whatever happens. And I think that depending how you assign things in your life, it can start to feel like following Jesus is like following this, this madman at, at best, or maybe an evil man at worst. Um, so I know something about this personally. When, when I was born, a year before I was born, my mom was diagnosed with lupus, and my mom was super, super healthy, very athletic. She was a dancer. Um, she was really athletic her whole life, and then um, a year before I was born, she was diagnosed with, with lupus, and I don't know if you're familiar with lupus, but you can get it. In my opinion, it can be on the scale of, of you know, it's mildly affecting to your life, too. It's devastating, and so she had more of the devastating end where over the years, it just amassed like a magnet more and more illnesses and more and more pain and more and more issues and broken back and, you know, like resulting in eventually like fusion back surgery that resulted in paralysis that, you know, ended her up in a wheelchair. I mean, this was just like her, her life of health. I can remember being in, a, in, in high school and for whatever reason, we, we needed to document her list of all of her medications and anything that ever bad happened to her and all the time she ever went to the hospital. Um, I don't know if you remember that, Dad, but I, I did that for some reason. It's like a, I don't know, school project. Um, and, uh, and it was like 45 pages long. I mean, I am not kidding. Like, there's just unbelievable amount of stuff that she was going through. And, um, you know, people want to comfort you. You know, we would take her to get prayer for healing, um, traveling, you know, famous prayer healing people would come through. We'd take her, like, we tried pretty much everything. I prayed for her for healing all the time. And I, I can remember... This was like one memory of something that happened repeatedly in my life. But I remember one memory driving on this. I can remember exactly where I was in the car. And I was just like, 
I was crying and angry. Have you ever been like ticked off crying? Like that's where I was. Like, and I was like, this is just, you know, why can't you just do something about this? Why can't you just change this? Like, I, I refuse to believe that there's a reason for this. Like, God was like, listen, I know it's going to suck for your mom, but Christian, I have some things for you to learn. But does that sound like God? Does that sound like who Jesus is? And I want to just challenge, like, I want to press on these senses, these feelings we get. I want to challenge them today, and, and it maybe will be offensive to you. It probably will only be offensive to people who have been in the church for a long time. So if you haven't been in the church for a long time, it won't be that offensive. But I want to press on this. I want to press on the fact that God's in control. And I know that sounds weird because if you're in here and you've been going to Sunday school your whole life and whatever, you're like, wait, I thought God was sovereign. And so, you know, sovereign's just a, you know, a fancy biblical word for God's over everything. And sure, God's over everything, but is he, is he in control in the sense that he's doing everything? I mean, I'm in control of my house, (laughs) but I don't author everything that happens in that house, right? There's a lot of stuff that goes on in that house that I um, would rather didn't happen, like how me and my kids are to each other. So, all right, so I want to, I think sometimes we ask these questions when we're suffering, and suffering can come in all forms. It can come in small things and big things. It can come temporarily or it can come long-term. It can be acute, right, or it can be just chronic, over time, nagging. It can be a slowly deteriorating marriage, that over time gets worse and worse and worse and more and more and more painful. It can be acute, like losing a friend or losing a child or losing a parent and anything in between. There's just all sorts of suffering. I think all the time we get into this suffering and we want to blame somebody. We want to look for a cause. We want to be able to say, this is why. And so we start to wonder, is God causing my suffering? Or we start to wonder, is God ignoring my suffering? One of those two things. If I'm suffering, is this God? Is he doing this to me? Is there something I'm supposed to learn? Is there something I've done wrong? Or is God ignoring my suffering? You know, I think, I didn't ask them if I could talk about it, but you know, my other sister-in-law is back there and their son, Matthew, in the last year and a half has completely lost his hearing. And why? Why has that happened? It is terribly sad. It's outside of our control. We've prayed for him for healing. God has not healed him. So why? Why? Is God punishing Heather and Alex? Have they been bad parents? Have they done something bad in their history? Yes. Yes, they have. I just wanted to share that with all of you. No, so, you know, because I think sometimes we, we say those things like, well, God's got a reason. There's, you know, there's a reason for everything. God's got a plan. But we don't think deeply about what we're really saying. We're really saying, hey, God's got a plan for your life, and it sucks. God was like, hmm, you know what, Heather and Alex, I know they got a lot on their plate, but I think they really could use a kid that goes deaf like that, like Mighty Smiter, right? You guys, you guys know the movie reference. Okay, two people. So I want to read to you the main verse for today. And there's a guy in the Bible who knew a lot about suffering, knew a lot about losing people he loved, and his name was James. James was the brother of Jesus. So can you just imagine with me for a second growing up with Jesus, growing up with your brother, and first of all, let's just you know, get over the fact that he had to come to terms with his brother being God and perfect. That would have been hard. But then he had to watch many, many, many of his brother's friends disown him. His own countrymen kill him. He had to watch his own brother die 
on a cross. And then, you know, the miraculous raising from the dead and ascending into heaven, and then he's just on his own. I mean, I can't imagine the, like, turbulent emotions that he was going through. And James knows something about suffering. He knows something about persevering. He's in a time when to be a follower of Jesus meant that you were being hunted and often imprisoned or killed. And he was in a time where he was in charge. James was in charge of all of the Christian churches in Jerusalem, which was a heavily persecuted area because the Jews saw Christianity as a threat. And so he's writing this letter. And he says this, halfway down. We'll go back to the beginning, but here's one of the things he says. What I want to focus on. Don't be deceived. And he could be talking to you and me right now. Don't be deceived when bad things happen to you. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. What that means is it's just the, the, the God who created the stars and the sun and the moon, the Father of the heavenly lights, okay? God of creation, the God who's above all things, every good and perfect gift comes from him who does not change like shifting shadows. And so an interesting like allegory he weaves in there with his words, talking about the sun and moon and stars and how they all create shadows that move throughout the time of day and night. But God's not like that. He's above those things. He doesn't change. God is good yesterday, today, and forevermore. We say things like that in church. Like some churches, you say, God is good. Everybody's like, all the time. They call it back, right? You ever been in a church like that? No, okay. (laughs) Just checking. All right. But listen to where this comes from. I want to show you the beginning of that, this this talk, the passage. So he ends up, Guys, don't be deceived. It's every good and perfect gift that comes from God. But he starts here. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pause right there. What? Can you imagine James walking up to Alex and saying, Alex, aren't you enjoying this horrible year of your life? I can talk about this because I love Alex and Heather. I know they're good. And they already got up and shared about all this with the church. And, you know, I just don't want to make Heather cry anymore. So, um, Consider it pure joy. What is he talking about? What does he have access to that we don't? Because you know that the testing of your faith. Now listen, he admits that when we go through hard times, our faith, our belief that Jesus is good, our belief that Jesus is God is going to be tested. Most of the time when things are going well in life, we aren't like, well, I don't know. Jesus, are you? In fact, you know what's interesting? Just side note. What's interesting is when good things happen in life, every good and perfect gift, we're not like, Usually, that's God, right? We're often like, that was lucky, or I worked hard for that. But then when bad stuff happens, we're like, God. It's just interesting. Watch yourself. You'll do it. So our faith is tested, but it produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. All right, this is where we're going to go with this. First, we need to become convinced that God is a giver of good gifts, that he's not the author of hardship or evil or sin or temptation or pain. See, if you can agree with that, you might not be able to. I'm going to try to convince you. God is not the author. He is not the bringer of hardship. He is not the bringer of financial crisis. He is not the bringer of sickness. He is not the person who authors the death of loved ones. He is not the person who authors sickness and pain and injury and relational crisis and marital breakups. He is not the person who authors those things. He is the person who redeems us in those things. 
And we have to get that straight because if you are confused about whether God is doing this thing to you or not, it's really hard to receive from him the grace you need in that moment. If you're thinking, God might be doing this to me, it's hard to say, God, can you help me? Because maybe you're doing this to me. All right, there's a whole bunch here. Um, We're just going to, we need to go past that, okay? So that's the rest of that verse. God is a giver of good gifts no matter what the circumstances are. No matter what the circumstances are. So listen, he's not just the giver of good gifts when things are going well. In fact, I would argue he is more so the giver of good gifts when life is hard. And in those moments, we just need to change, reframe why and how these hardships are happening to us. And then we can receive. So if we reframe it, then we can receive what God has for us in those moments. And what God has for us in those moments um, is he has these things. Even in difficult times, God gives good gifts. He gives the perseverance to get through it. So if we can shift our mind and stop thinking, God's doing this to me. God's punishing me. God's testing me. God's shaping me or molding me. I needed to learn something. I needed to be fixed. I needed to be any of those things and see that no, and I'm going to get to where the bad things come from. But in every moment, if you could be convinced that God is always good, then he can help you persevere and he can help you grow. That's what James was talking about. That's why James would say, consider it pure joy because as a result of this, you're going to grow. And honestly, God is very concerned with us growing. He's very concerned with us becoming all that we can be. And I've said this before. I don't think that God looks at us and says, you need to learn patience. I'm going to give you a kid who cries all through the night. All right? I think he knows that there's plenty of stuff that's going to happen in the world. He doesn't have to create more crap for us to endure. And then he gives us ministry. He gives us an opportunity out of our hardship that we persevere through and grow through to help other people in the same things. So first, let me just go back to this. I want to just beat this drum a little bit harder. Is God really good? You might be sitting there saying, Christian, I don't know. So let's just look at a few things. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Every good and perfect gift. It's hard to argue with that statement. Jesus said, I came to give life, life that is full and good. Now listen, Jesus is the full representation of who God is as revealed, if you read the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. If you want to know what that whole story is about, the whole story is about we need a Savior to save us from ourselves, and Jesus died and rose again to deliver us from the power of sin and death and sickness He came to give life. John the Apostle said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Sound familiar? No shadows. No shifting shadows. No change. No darkness. God is love. And then if you go on and you were to take 1 Corinthians 13, you know, love is patient, love is kind, all those things. That's all the things that God is. Do you experience God like that? Do you know a God who is patient with you? Do you know a God who loves you deeply? Do you know a God who knows the rest of the things in that list and does all those things? You should look it up. Okay, we don't have time for that. But God is the giver of good gifts no matter what the circumstances are. Every good and perfect gift. So I'm going to just assume that I am such an incredible preacher that I have you all 100% convinced. Okay. If not, I have to move on anyway. So Christian... If he's so good, why do bad things happen? Now listen, 
I tend to, when I teach, try not to have 700 scriptures up here, and right, I, I, we like to, I like to keep it like focused so you can actually remember something instead of having too much. But for today, this is a little bit more cerebral, and I'm not going to apologize. I'm just going to say that. So if he is so good, why do bad things happen? I think this is one of those questions we need to understand. So whether, listen, if you're not a Christian here today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to explain to you from the Bible why we think bad things happen. And then you have an opportunity to wrestle with that. You don't have to take my word for it. But this is what gives us hope. This is what gives me hope. And maybe you're wondering, why do bad things happen in my life? My life feels out of control. Maybe this can help give you hope, okay? So there's another book of the Bible that Paul wrote. Paul's a guy that we talk about a lot. And Paul wrote about, you know, close to half the New Testament. He wrote a letter to churches in the city of Rome. And this is some of the things that he said. And I'm going to try to do an illustration. Fair warning, I have not tried this illustration yet, so I don't know if it's going to work. That's right. That's how prepared I like to be. So Romans 5.12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Here's the basic concept. And listen, you might be here today, and you, I know we're, we are, we're like treading on a lot of things today. You might be like, Adam and Eve, I don't buy that. Fine. Okay? Obviously, you know what I think about that, but if you don't buy that, don't let that hang you up on what's really happening here, okay? What's really happening here is that sin came through our choice to stop following God's laws, to stop following God's way. Remember, we've talked about that recently, that God has a perfect plan for our life, similar to playing basketball, how there's rules that make basketball fun and meaningful, and if you just forsake all the rules, it ceases to be fun and meaningful. God has created a path for our lives that is fun and meaningful and full of life. But when we forsake that, this is what happens. And so whether you believe that Adam is an actual person who actually had a first choice to follow God, which I believe, or not, you can take this either way you want to. It still is true. And here's the basic concept. Let's say that God started off, yes, <laughs> good start. Let's say that God started off with us as clean, slate, perfect, okay? And we chose to sin. All right, now this would be really cool if there was like a camera and you could see that, but you can all see that, right? All right, we chose to sin. One choice changes it all. This is why that verse is powerful that says, God is light, in him is no darkness at all. There's no darkness in him. But once we chose to walk from him, you might be like, that's not fair, he just ate an apple. All right, it, was, it was a symbolic gesture saying, I would rather be in charge than you, God. One choice. And then they start having kids, right? Not only have they inherited the sin, but they sin some more, right? Don't we all sin? Is anybody, are there perfect people in here? I apologize, this might be offensive for you, right? And then they have kids and they sin some more. That one was particularly sinful. And they have some kids. All right. Now, in my mind, this got darker and darker, is it? Just say yes. Not really. But um, this is us. Like, I mean, like, over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because I think some people are like, well, that's not fair. He sinned. I mean, let's be honest. You really think you could have made it your whole life without sinning? No. All right. But we've got, this is the world right now, in fact. This is the, the combination effect of choosing to go away from God's plan times millions and billions of decisions 
by humans across all time, death and sin have spread to everyone. See, sin was the door through which all the things that we try to blame God for have come. Death, sickness, pain, relational brokenness, even even natural disasters. Listen to this. In hope, the creation itself will be liberated. So it's saying there will come a day when creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. See, even the world, the physical world, creation, trees, mountains, are subject not only to, aren't we doing bad things to the earth? We still do bad things to the earth. And the power of sin. Sin's like a virus that has infected God's perfect plan. See, God's perfect plan, there wouldn't have been any death. There wouldn't have been any sickness. There wouldn't have been any relationship problems. There wouldn't have been any poverty. There wouldn't have been any hunger. There wouldn't have been any, you know, a country who has all the food, so much food that they throw food away every day and countries where there's no food, not enough food to eat. People are dying because they don't have food. That inequality would not happen. They wouldn't have men, you know, sexually assaulting and abusing women. They wouldn't have any of that. There wouldn't be racism. People just because their skin is lighter, they get to think they're better than people's skin is darker. None of that would have ever happened. But all of it happened because we live in a broken, so backwards, so perverted system. We're in it. So this is why, this is why Jesus came. This is why you might be here today thinking, I've never thought about it that way, but this is why Jesus had to come. He looked at that and he said, this is not what I intended. Look at that. Those look different. See? Yeah, that's right. That is not what God intended for us. Sin disturbed all of our relationships with God in everything and everyone. It is the most permeating evil power. It is 1113. You know what? We have never really gone over here at City Light. Man. I mean, I can't really stop there because that's like the most unhopeful place to end a message. Sin has dominated the world from the beginning of time. Goodbye. Yeah, it's like a cliffhanger. Come back next week if you want to find out what Jesus did. All right. Um, all right, guys, give me, I can, I can finish in 10 minutes. All right, I do apologize. So we really, I mean, to be honest, we really do care about ending on time. I, I, w- I would bother me so much to go somewhere and have them not end, in to- end on time. So please forgive me for this. Um, I blame the game. Let's be honest. Okay. So listen to this. This sin and this death, this is just a little further in the letter, has created a huge abyss separating us from God. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parable to the death, parallel to the death-dealing sin. So what he starts to compare is Jesus and Adam. And he starts to say what God did in Jesus doesn't even compare. So we just talked about the devastation of sin. But what God did in Jesus doesn't even compare. It's so much, it's like not in the same ballpark. It's like the Eagles versus the Patriots. Not even close, all right? So the rescuing gifts, if death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery that life makes? Sovereign life in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift. God is the giver of good gifts. He's the giver of good gifts. Grand, setting everything right that the one man, Jesus Christ, provides. God is the giver of good gifts, no matter what the circumstances are. Say it over and over and over again. God is the giver of good gifts. 
no matter what the circumstances are. Um, Nathan, let's just get background music, if you're here. Walker, we won't do a song. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. If you've been in church for a long time, one of the questions you're probably thinking is, wait a second, what about when God disciplines us? Does God discipline us? So I'm not going to talk about that today. In the midweek refresher this week, we send out a midweek refresher every Wednesday. Um, I will address that. It'll be a little bit longer than three minutes. But if you're curious, I'll talk about that then. Okay? Um, All right. So what we're going to do now is um, we're going to put some music on. And you all, we're going to about to hand out some magnets to you. Hey, Rebecca, come on up. You can, let's just sing it. We'll sing it, and people can leave as they want. So here's what we're going to hand out. To end our series, God's Not Like That. We're going to hand out these blank slates, these little magnets, okay? And here's the thought behind this. You can do it during, um, when we, at City Light, this is your first time. After the teaching, we give about a five to ten minute response and reflection time. So during this time, you can go over to the wall and get prayer. You can get prayer if you have pain in your life or past and you need God's strength, like we've been talking about. Remember, God is the giver of good gifts in the midst of hardship. He gives you the ability to persevere. He teaches you through it. Right? He didn't author that bad time in order to teach you, but he will take every opportunity to grow us. Everything that this world throws at us, God will turn and redeem for good if we ask him to. Did you hear that? Every evil thing that this world throws at us, God will turn and redeem for good, okay? So God is giving good gifts, but if you're struggling and you need God's strength, please go get prayer. If you feel like God's abandoned you in the past, go on and get prayer. For the rest of us, for all of us, take these magnets, and you can do this now during reflection time, or if you need to get going, you can grab it and run. But so we've been talking about God's not like this, right? We want you to write down is, God is like this, right here, on your thing. God is like this, and I want you to just pray or think about what word has most hit you during this series, right? What thing has really stuck out to you? That God is a a God of life, a God of peace. God is a God of hope. God is a God of freedom. What are the things we've talked about? You know, Mark talked about God not being a killjoy. God is a God of joy or purpose, you know, Jonathan talked about God not being obsessed with our past. We talked about God as a God of forgiveness. God as a God of freedom. What word would best describe it? And I would challenge you just to throw this up on your, you know, refrigerator or something at home. And just look at it this week or forever. Now, you could do a dry erase marker, and then you could, like, change it. But I don't know what you want to do. Our markers are permanent markers. So um, do that. Get prayer. We'll do a song here. Um, and we'll end like normal. But again, if you have to go, um, we totally understand it. So let's just do this song.